Once safely on shore, we found out that the island was called Malta. The islanders showed us unusual kindness. They built a fire and welcomed us all because it was raining and cold. Paul gathered a pile of brushwood, and as he put it on the fire, a viper, driven out by the heat, fastened itself on his hand. When the islanders saw the snake hanging from his hand, they said to each other, This man must be a murderer. What though he escaped from the sea? Justice has not allowed him to live. But Paul shook the snake off into the fire and suffered no ill effects. to do if something has hurt you. I chose the word something because sometimes it's a situation that hurts you. It's not a person that intentionally hurt you, but you still got hurt. So what do you do when things, life, the devil, snakes, circumstances hurt you? What do you do? In Paul's case, he shook it off and went on. What enabled him to do that? I don't want us to rush forward too quickly without identifying the circumstances around this snake bite. If it was me putting myself in Paul's shoes and having read the previous chapters in Acts, I might be tempted, you might be tempted, we would be tempted maybe to rant and rave about how much our life sucks. Snake bit. You've got to be kidding me, God. We just survived a horrendous storm that lasted for weeks, followed by a traumatic shipwreck to this unknown place. I'm shivering, soaking wet, chilled to the bone. I've got goosebumps on top of goosebumps. I'm sticky and miserable, and I haven't had a bath in weeks. You know I smell bad, and I'm surrounded by 275 other men who stink. Finally breaking a two-week fast forced upon us by the weather. We haven't had a decent meal in weeks, and it's been a long time since I can remember sleeping comfortably. God, do you know how much of a pain these rusty chains on my wrists are? Not to mention these salty, sandy, soggy, cold, wet clothes. Snake bit? You've got to be kidding me. I was made a prisoner over two years ago by those who were supposedly protecting me from folks who wanted me dead. Why am I the one being incarcerated here and not the real troublemakers? How is this fair? I am sick and tired of writing books and trying to encourage other people when life is giving me a beating. Did I mention my beatings? Did I mention my other shipwrecks? Did I mention that stoning? How about this thorn in my flesh? How is any of this right? Viper bit? You've got to be kidding me, God. I've lost everything. I am sick of it. No more, Mr. Nice Guy. No more, I can't believe the pastor played Alice Cooper at church. Well, he is a Methodist preacher, son. I don't know that that justifies anything. But that's not a bad song. It's kind of the blues. He's whining about life. He said... I used to be such a sweet, sweet thing till they got a hold of me. I'd open doors for little old ladies and I helped the blind to see. I got no friends since they read the papers. They can't be seen with me and I'm getting shot down and I'm feeling mean. No more Mr. Nice Guy. No more Mr. Clean. 
No more Mr. Nice Guy. They say he's sick. He's obscene. Well, he was. My dog bit me on the leg today. My cat clawed my eyes. Ma's been thrown out of the social seeker, and my dad has to hide. I went to church incognito when everybody rose. The Reverend Smedley recognized me and punched me in the nose. No more Mr. Nice Guy. No more Mr. Clean. How to overcome? Is it as simple as shaking it off? Is it as simple as letting it go? Let it go, let it go. Turn away and slam the door. I don't care what they're going to say. Let the storm rage on. And the cold don't bother me anyway. <laughs> Is it that simple? How do you shake stuff off? How do you let things go? We have some clues from Paul's writings. And in these clues, we learn that he could rant and rave if he wanted to because he had the battle scars to show it and wouldn't be lying or exaggerating or being a big baby about stuff. He wrote three letters from jail and others from other places on his journeys. How to handle snake bites, how to handle offenses, Three points today. Number one, understand and exercise an eternal perspective. Look at things in light of eternity. Understand what that means and then do it. Second Corinthians chapter 4. We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Always bearing about in the body, the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be manifested in our mortal body. Verse 11, he says, For we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So then death is working in us, but life is working in you. And since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what is written, Quote, I believed and therefore I spoke, unquote. We also believe and therefore speak, knowing that he who raised up the Lord Jesus will also raise us up and will present us with you. What's he doing? In spite of these tough times, he's looking to the future. For all things are for your sakes, that grace having spread through the many, may cause thanksgiving to abound to the glory of God. Therefore, we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. Verse 17, for our light and momentary affliction or troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. For we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Paul had his eyes fixed on eternity. He had his eyes fixed on Rome. The Lord Jesus personally promised him, you're going to Rome. So this snake bite is just an interruption. I don't see Rome in the natural right now. I see this snake, but I'm shaking it off because I'm going somewhere. How many times have we been detoured by getting distracted 
by ignorant folks, foolish folks, or circumstances of life. We've got to keep our eyes on the prize, amen? Second point, value and care for others more than yourself. This is what he did, and here's proof that he could rant. In 2 Corinthians 11, he's defending himself against his critics who happen to be believers in the church. He ain't all that. Well, he, he, you know, he doesn't have to tell us what to do. He planted them. He had, he had some authority there as an apostle who got them going as a church to bring some things in order. Verse 23 of 2 Corinthians 11, I've worked much harder than those guys that are criticizing me, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I've received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one. According to the Torah, uh, corporal punishment was permissible up to 40 lashes, so they always did it minus one in case they uh, <clears throat> would go over in 41. God forbid that they should lash you with 41 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. Reckon he could rant? I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my own countrymen, in danger from Gentiles, in danger from the city, in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false brothers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold, you think, and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. In spite of all this, I carry a burden of concern for you guys. I do not allow this to eclipse my responsibility with you as a, as a leader, as, as the apostle in this region. Pretty awesome. Evidence of his love for them. He valued and cared for others more than himself. You may think, Pastor, that's kind of stretching it. Well, let's look at verse 28 again and then verse 29. Apart from the things which have not been mentioned. All right, guys, I didn't tell you all the suffering I've gone through. But apart from the things I've not mentioned, there is this. The crowd of cares pressing upon me daily. The anxious concern for all the churches. And here is his concern. Who is weak and I am not weak? Who is stumbled and I myself do not burn? In other words, I care about you guys. My knees go weak when I hear about one of you becoming weak. I burn with passion to see you restored when I know someone has stumbled and fallen away or someone's yielded to the will of the enemy in their life. These things bother me. So the way he was able to overcome things that hurt him not only was his eternal perspective, but he cared for people more than himself. Yep. That is a key to victory. If you admire heroes of history, all their stories, if you read any biographies or any movies of people's life or documentaries, normally it's people that suffered. Who wants to watch a movie about someone's life that have never had any problems? And they lived happily ever after. That's it. No, those fairy tales, even themselves, have suffering in them, don't they? 
So what's the key to being a hero of history? Living for something more than yourself. If I just live for me, protect me, believe that life is never going to allow anything to hurt me, I'm never going to make an impact for the kingdom. I'm not really going to have any eternal perspective. And things are going to be able to hurt me more than they should. Thirdly, final point, to overcome things that hurt us, set our affections on higher things, things above. Paul wrote Ephesians, Colossians, Philippians, and Philemon while imprisoned in Caesarea for two years, not knowing when he would be set free, and then from there he was on this voyage. Look at what he said in Colossians. If you then be risen with Christ, we know that Christ took our place and died for us on the cross. As, as us, we didn't die on the cross, but he died as our substitute. He died as us so that we could rise with him. If you then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ sits at the right hand of God. Where Christ is received, the Messiah has received the name that is above every name. That's verse 1, verse 2 and 3. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. That's what worship does. It helps us set our affections, turn our eyes on Jesus, on things above and not on the things on the earth. For you are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. This is Paul's understanding that when all this junk was happening to him, unbelievable stuff, getting slandered while he's been snake bit. That's a pretty bad day, isn't it? He reckoned himself as dead. You can't hurt a dead man. Christ lives in me. They're attacking Jesus. I'm doing this for the furtherance of the kingdom. If he ran it and raved, probably Publius wouldn't have uh, been healed. The islanders wouldn't have experienced healing and they wouldn't have been as well cared for. He'd have made it to Rome because the Lord is true to his promise, but the kingdom would not have advanced, and he would have been miserable for three months. So God's way always pays off. Verse 4, when Christ who is our life is revealed, here's the eternal perspective, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Until we make it to eternity, our life is hidden in Jesus, and we will be revealed when we see him as he is, for we will be like him. Life is like a thermostat, and it wants to draw our attention to itself, to earthly things, to struggles, to uh, disappointments, to woundings, but the will of God, as Paul understood it, is to set our affections like we set a thermostat on heavenly things, on things above. So what to do when the snakes of the devil are trying to bite you? Understand and exercise an eternal perspective. Know that you're going to outlive your problems. Know that your trials cannot exist forever, but you are. Value and care for other people more than yourself and set your affections on things above. In a minute, we're going to be 
worshiping together. And as we worship, that's what we do. We set our affections on things above. Live a life of worship. I want to conclude with this first point again, understanding and exercise the eternal perspective. When we don't, little things get way bigger than they really are. Watch this. our eyes not on what is seen but on what is unseen for what is seen is temporary but what is unseen is eternal Lord we fix our eyes on you as we worship do something in our hearts that needs to be done in Jesus name Amen let's worship
this service, Rocky McClinock texted me these words. I'm not going to focus on the troubles of my past, present, or future because I know my eternity. Oh, yeah. That's the eternal perspective. Oh, yeah. 